Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rogue Report podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Goldsmith, and I have a very special guest with me today. He was a key part of the 2010-11 team, which finished 10th in the Premier League, the highest position in 20 years, now playing in the beehive state of Utah with Real Salt Lake. It's Nedim Manua. Welcome. Hey, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. I was going to ask about like this Utah before getting to the football, but what's Utah like to live in? It's not really mentioned as... Uh, <laughs> no, no. It's not mentioned as anything, to be honest, but for the whole time I've been here, it's, it's been like, it's been amazing. It's a hidden gem. Like I live at the base of some mountains. There's people go, ski, there's like five, 10 ski resorts within 30 minutes of my house. So that you got that in the winter for people. Then in the summer, it's beautiful. And wherever you look, you're literally flanked by mountain ranges. And it's, uh, yes, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I feel very, very lucky to be here because it's, it's definitely is a hidden gem of America. It looks quite peaceful. Oh, it is. Yeah, definitely is that. <laughs> So the move to Sunderland, uh, you came here on loan. How was that move come about? Were there any of the clubs interested? Looking back, I think uh, I wasn't. I think at the end of the season before, it seemed as though I'd need to be um, I'd need to be looking elsewhere if I wanted to be playing regular regular minutes because I played a few played a few games. I, I wasn't a guaranteed starter in the team at City at that time. So the time passed, and then we were doing pre-season. And again, it was a it was a funny preseason because the manager was I don't know he, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we fell out because nothing in particular happened but we just didn't really click or connect which, which was the same for quite a few players at that time. So uh, the option to go on loan to Sunderland came up. And I remember initially thinking, feeling like a a sense of shock because it was the first time that I was actually going to be leaving City because I'd been there from when I was ten years old and now this is fourteen fifteen years later. They're saying, you know, you've got to go and try something else. And as I said, I've never been anywhere before, but I was lucky because I could speak to Fraser Campbell, who's a good friend of mine, speak to Anton Ferdinand, you know, a good friend of mine again, about the club. So I went from being a bit nervous about it to all of a sudden thinking, well, this is going to be good and it's going to be a lot of fun. So as soon as they said they were interested and the, the offer was there, I, you know, I was I was straight up the road. Still keep in touch with Fraser and Antoine Ferdinand? Yeah, I still speak to Anton and Fraser's a very good friend of mine now. Our wives are really close as well. Our kids are close in age and they all get along. So yeah, he's he's probably the person from my time there who I'm definitely closest with. And this is a he's, he's definitely a friend who I'll, I'll be with for the rest of my life. We did play quite well at the stadium late in the first half of that uh, season. We uh, drew with Arsenal, Man United, uh, Beach City. Yeah, yeah. What was it did, like yeah. playing? Yeah, during that time, what was it like? Was it like playing there? Well, it's a bit different to how I saw it in the last few years, to be honest. But I used to love it. I used to love getting there because it was 
it's one of the biggest stadiums in the country. And it's definitely got one of the most passionate fan bases as well. So every time mm-hmm. you go in there, and if you were, don't get me wrong, if you weren't playing that well, we'd feel a bit of the tension, but it wasn't really, it was more like anxiety from their part that we should be doing better, which is similar to what we felt on the field anyway. But when we were doing well and we were on top of teams, it was such a hostile place for them to come. And you always felt that every time you're doing well, we had the advantage. It was almost like a 12th man and teams would crumble. I've seen some really good teams go there and think they can go out and play one way or another. But when when Sunderland, when we were there, Sunderland, we were going right about them, pressing them, getting in their faces. And it was loud. It was, you know, those are some of the best moments of my career, because as I say, it's such a passionate fan base. And when you provide them with something which they which they love to see, you know, it gives you that little bit of extra energy. Yeah, we were high flying around October time. And then, of course, the uh, the, the incident on James's Park. Yes, uh, the incident. Yeah. Yeah, and um, 5-1 defeat. Uh, what went wrong that day? Do you know, it's, it's, that's a hard one, you know. That's a hard one to get, to get our head around because we were, were very excited for the game. We've been looking forward to that game, and it's, as is probably the case for any team that's, that's had that derby lined up, as soon as the fixtures come out, you look to see when it's going to be, and especially like you want to go there and try and put performance on them. And we were in good form, or so like, we weren't, weren't in that good form, but we felt we could have won the game. So then to go there, and then just I think football at times can be about momentum. And we were trying our absolute best to make a difference and to play well in the game, but things didn't start well. And then we could never really get a, a stronghold in the game. Things were going from bad to worse. And I think on that particular day, and as is the case with football, which is probably why we love it, anyone can beat anyone. And you don't necessarily need to have 30 chances to score X amount of goals. So they were far more clinical than us. They had momentum, they had the lead, and they were playing without the pressure. Whereas from once we went behind and we were away from and we were away from home and things like this, we just couldn't really get a foothold in it. And it's you know it's, it was so frustrating because this is a game which we're all looking forward to that we never threw in the towel. But then in the same breath, we never really got better, which was which was a killer. And that game to this day is one which is probably one of the only few in my career where I, like I, I look back and I'm still like I wish I could get it back. There's so much disappointment about how that game went because it could have been a lot better and it should have been a lot better. But it never materialised. And it's one of those games, as I say, where anything we tried, just nothing clicked. What about the dressing room afterwards? You know, just coming back in after that's just happened. What was it like in the dressing room? You just, you're just distraught. You're absolutely distraught because you know how big that game is. You know, not many people will be lucky enough in their career to play in a game of that magnitude. You know, the fact that we were, it's a game where we take the bus from Sunderland across to Newcastle. You've got like helicopter escorts, police escorts. They've got fans waiting outside for you, people swearing, throwing stuff at you. You know, this is a big, big game. And for Mm. it to have gone the way that it went, like if we would have lost, we'd have been disappointed. But to lose the way that we did, like we're absolutely crushed. Because as I say, this is ultimately one of the two biggest games of the whole season, regardless of wherever you finish in the league. And as I say, we were were devastated and we knew that, well, one thing that I knew anyway was being someone who lived, I lived in Seam and I would go to Sunderland and so on. You can't escape that moment that's it for the rest of the season no matter how well you do this result will be spoken about so now you're in a place where you're almost thinking we need to play another game again we need to play another game again because we have to bring the trust back amongst ourselves but then also show to the fans that this isn't who we are and you know because if that's ultimately who we were then you know we're a bad team but as the season panned out we we saw in the end that that's not we weren't a bad team at all we certainly had a a good uh, turn in form after this game yeah because we went on a run where we beat Stoke, drew at Tottenham. We got on to beat Chelsea 3-0, of course. But uh, what changed mm-hmm. during that? 
I think at times, whether it's just in life or just in football, you have to try and figure out where rock bottom, where rock bottom is. And in that moment, in that Newcastle game, we couldn't have been, we really couldn't have been worse. For as much as like we weren't, we, it wasn't like a, it was a, it was a very, very bad day. But it wasn't like everybody on the field had a terrible performance. But we knew that the standards that we had were ones whereby that isn't acceptable. So for everyone, it was almost like, all right, we're resetting, we're remembering that moment. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that we don't drop to that level again, whether it's a case of defending, attacking, just being cohesive or just whatever. Like we we have to do better than that, especially in all the games to come. And again, the, it was almost like a countdown began again for the next Newcastle game, for the next uh, Derby game. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's how it was. Like I remember, I remember clear as day Steve Bruce saying to us after the game that we we owe the fans and the city based on what happened after that game. And it rang so true because that's, you know, you can't, I don't think you can live in Sunderland, live in Newcastle and not talk about football for as much mm. as it has everything else. That's, that's at its core. You know, that's, those are the people, the people support you, you represent them. And that game is the biggest time of the season for them. Ultimately, obviously you can win trophies and so on, but that game will always matter. So yeah, we felt like we let ourselves down. We let, we let the club down, you know, we let the fans down and all this stuff. So people were, almost like re-motivated and you, you reset and you started again. You said, well, that's not going to happen again. And ultimately with the players that we had in the, in the, um, in the club at the time, these are, as we've seen with one or two of them, these are, these are top players. People are going to do achieve great things and they raise the bar. We all raise the bar. And as a consequence training, you could argue was more competitive in every game was more competitive and no one almost like after that game, no one was guaranteed a position. So you had to earn the trust of the manager earn the trust of your teammates earn the trust of the fans again. So it didn't surprise me that we started playing well after that. What was uh, Steve Bruce like to play for? Um, he was, so I didn't know much about him really before, before I joined, like I had a new teammate, a new people who played with him, but we never really spoke about him, but he was, a. Uh, I think he's good because he represents what it is up there. He's, he's a very, very passionate man and he has his ideas about how he wants you to play and so on and so forth. But it always comes from a place whereby you are a committed player to your teammates around you and to the people that come to watch you. You know, So even if you were, say you could be the best player in the world, but if you lack the heart and commitment, you're not going to play for him. So that was something whereby in the team, everywhere you looked, everyone was basically on the same page and committed to doing the same thing, whether that was uh, Bolo Zenden, who's played in Champions League, won Champions League and stuff, or, you know, it could be someone that was coming through the academy at the time. Like, everyone shared that same goal and same belief and that a lot of that was down to him and the way that he made us, uh, he made us train. Like, you had to be fit, you had to be competitive, and you had to understand why you were doing what you were doing. And, yeah, he was, uh, he, he was good. He was, he was definitely a good person to play for. And it, it the fact that he played as well, in the, in the Premier League, he's someone who you can talk to about pretty much anything, really. So, yeah, it, it was, I enjoyed it. You yourself have played most games in the season. I know you had a, a bit of an injury layoff, but you, I think yeah. you played... Yeah, I think it was 31, 32 league games, something like that. Which isn't too bad. Yeah, pretty uh, consistent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the Chelsea game, uh, it's the, you only scored one goal for us, and of course yes. it was uh, an incredible goal. Yeah, that, thank you very much. Uh, it felt like you went through the entire Chelsea team. You know, it just mm-hmm. felt like you just went past everybody. And then you slotted past Czech. And at the time, Chelsea, you know, had gone 10 games, I think, without conceding a goal. Yeah, that's right. Um, so what went through your head when the ball came at you and you just went for it, basically? You know, uh, what's, what's really interesting about that day, I'll provide, like, full context. So I don't know if we were in great form going into that game. But Steve Bruce, he said... Just before the game, you know, this is a big game. This because it was a, it was a, um, it was a Sunday. It was a prime time game on Sunday. 
uh, and I think it was. And he said, listen, if you want to, if you guys want to make a name for yourselves as a team and for people to recognize how good you are, you have to do it in London and you have to do it in London on TV. And here we were in London on TV and we're going out to this game. And, you know, thankfully the result went away and we won 3-0. But then even to reference my goal, there are a few things which are strange about it. So I was playing right back. As the play's developing and the ball drops to me, I'm in the middle of the field, even though Jordan Henderson was out on the right wing, crossing the ball in. So I don't know why I was there in the first place. I don't know why he was out there either. But then from when it fell, it just, I don't know, it's just... It was just a, there was just a gap. I guess there was just a gap. And I thought, ah, just why not? And ultimately, at the end of the day, even though people don't do stuff like that all the time, we are all professionals. So we do actually have an ability to be able to actually run towards a goal. <laughs> what a feeling, what a moment. And even for the context of the game, it was, I think it was just before halftime. So that gave us a massive boost, which is why we were able to go out in the second half and do what we did. So the timing of it, regardless of whether it would have been a tap-in or, you know, a goal from 100 yards out, like, it was... It was it was incredible, but yeah, going into going into the um, the dressing room at halftime there, one up against Chelsea, who everyone thought was were this that and the other. You know, they were a good team, but I just don't think they respected us enough. And on that day, we ended up showing them that you know, if you if you're gonna play against us, you have to give us your all, or you're probably gonna suffer. <laughs> yeah, it was it was incredible, really, just to be there. And you look quite shocked yourself when you scored. I don't know if you don't you, celebrate. Hey, listen, I'll tell you for a fact what it was. It was not shock. It was tiredness. I oh. literally did not have a breath within my body to be able to celebrate. That's one of my biggest regrets in my career. I wish I would have celebrated that goal, but I just wasn't capable. <laughs> I just couldn't breathe. <laughs> That must have been a great night of celebrating afterwards. Ah, it certainly was, yeah. It certainly was. We, you know, we said, in fact, it was probably a, it's probably a couple of nights worth. But, you know, those moments, they're not, they're, they're few and far between. To beat a team 3 0 away from home in the Premier League is unlikely. To do it at a place like Chelsea, again, unlikely. And to do it on national TV, again, these all things just fell into place. So that was, a, that was a great moment. And I think everyone that played in that game or watched that game, you know, you can still talk to them about it now, even though that's uh, going on 10 years ago. But things were going steady for us. And then January, Darren yeah, Ben yeah. shocked yeah. everyone, left. Mm-hmm. Was that a surprise or was there a feeling of him wanting to leave? Or? No, no, no. I think, so I, I was friends with, with Darren, but I wasn't like really tight with him. So we would never really speak about the ins and outs of life and so on and so forth. So it was a surprise for me surprise for most people maybe one or two teammates knew something was going on or something was in the works but yeah it really was it was a big surprise and you know he was our he was our talisman really so to lose your um to lose your main goal scorer was uh it was a blow and a surprise but then you know when when you live up there there's so much drama anyway i think it just added to the whole context of the season did it not definitely like he was don't get me wrong he i think he's he was a good guy he was a good teammate but in that moment, I think the decision must be made for something which was just for him. And it was a shame based on the fact that we were on a roll and maybe what who knows what we could have achieved. But I think to have like, uh, I think it was Asamoah and Danny Welbeck and people behind is, and it would have been Fraser if he wasn't injured, you know, that's, that's still yes. not too bad, really. We had uh, just throughout the team, there was just so many players who we would love anyone from that team now. Uh, yeah. How much was morale affected by Darren's departure? Um I don't think it was morale as such. It was just, we were just surprised. We were just surprised. And football matters are always football matters. A player can never leave without the club saying that the player can leave unless, you know, they're out of contract. So it was something which I guess both parties wanted. So ultimately we just had to move on, but things would inevitably change because now those are big boots to fill. You know, he he did score a lot of goals and he did help the team out and he was a good guy around the place. So he was going to be missed, but 
you know the season carries on going. So yeah, from a morale standpoint, didn't didn't really affect us. But as I say we just had to try and find a change. In that season, Jordan Henderson was there, played about. Yes. Yeah, he yes, was he he, uh, mainstay in the team. And did you have any idea from playing with him that he would go on to have the success that he has had? Um, honestly, I wasn't sure, you know, because I thought he was a good player. I really, really did. And he had so many attributes which were which were going to be beneficial, but he had to learn about the game and other things and what is ultimate, what's important and what's not important because he could essentially run and do this and do that. But, like, you can find other people that can do that. But he was a good player, but I think at times he was very... Um, he was... He so he was the representation of a fan that was playing within the team that he supported. So from an individual individual perspective, he can play, train, do whatever. But he could only his eyes were only set on say when we were playing Newcastle, which was good to a point. But in terms of bigger picture, if you want to go and try and play for England or anything like that, you have to try and expand your game and learn more about what it takes to not just beat Newcastle, but to beat all the teams in the league and stuff like this. So I think he had the potential to do that. But in that moment, he wasn't doing it. But as time passed, he started to get better and better and better at the craft, at his own craft. And then his things which he kept, which he had before then just added to it. So to see where he is now doesn't really surprise me because he's someone who for years I've, I've, I've really liked as a player. And even when people say, no, he's not this, so he's not that, he's not whatever. I said, all right, we'll, we'll see. And ultimately, that he was one of the best players in the Premier League, and to know that that was the guy who we who I played with and who someone had on their books ten years ago is like is incredible to see. It's really it's always nice to see a, a local lad doing as well as he is. Yeah, for well. sure. And he's and he's the thing with him, like he's Sunderland through and through. Like no questions asked at any point. He's as committed to supporting that supporting that that city as like anyone else who's on the street who's not getting the same chance to play. Junior. Season, who was the best player to play alongside though? That is a good question. Um, I think that year saw a bit of a rise for Danny Welbeck. I really enjoyed um, playing with Steve Malbron. Uh, to be fair, just everyone, like looking back and looking through that team, that's a, it was a strong team. It was a really, really strong team. I run through the team. We had Stefan, St- Stefan Sessignon, Bolo Zenden, Danny Welbeck, uh, Darren Ben, Asamoah uh, Jordan Henderson, Lee Catamore, Kieran Richardson's like this is a, that's what, like I could keep going like that's that's a really good team and I think yeah. the fact that at the start of the season the goals were very clear we wanted to finish in the top ten of the Premier League and that didn't feel like a million miles away I think that kind of says that it was a really good team each individual as good as they may be they also fit into the team. So in terms of who they enjoy playing with the most, like even not even mention people like Phil Bardsley, you know, Michael Turner's types, Brambles, like there's so there are literally so many. But it's just yeah, it's, what can I say? It's just a really um everyone really enjoyed it with everyone. And Sam and on Ferdinand was there at the time as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He moved to QPR when you did as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah, he did. And I spent I spent a lot of years with Anton. Thankfully, he's a nice guy. Couldn't say that about couldn't say that about everyone who I've spent a lot of years with, but we won't get into him. Let's not talk about yeah. him on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> was there any talk of you staying past alone? There was. Do you know what? I don't think there was. I think there was scope for it to be there, but I always thought I was going there for a year, and then my aim was to go back in at City and see if I can break into that team. So I don't know if that feel was something which changed the way that, say, Steve Bruce or whoever considered me as the season was progressing, but. You know, that's how it was. And ultimately, I, I never had a call where someone said, oh, you know, Sunderland have now put a bid in and now you should go there. That never really came. 
looking back, if the bid would have come in, I probably would have gone straight there because that's same, that next season is when I ended up leaving City on a permanent deal anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it never materialised. I don't know if I, if I was the reason for that or if it was the club where Sunderland weren't interested or City weren't interested in selling at the time. But it just never it never came about. But as I say, with hindsight, I think it's definitely something I would have uh, seriously considered at that point. So you did move to QPR in 2012 and spent six years there, was it? Yeah, six and a half years it was, yeah. I saw a lot of managers come and go, but who was <laughs> had a best relationship with? Um, best relationship with, I'd probably say either... I had a good relationship with a lot of them, to be honest. In fact, probably didn't have a good one with maybe one or two. But I, I really enjoyed working with Mark Hughes and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Because there were people like with Mark Hughes, I, I ended up understanding their, um, their training patterns and why they did what they did. And you could always speak to them and ask them questions. You wouldn't, with Mark Hughes, it wasn't a guarantee that you'd be playing every single week for anyone, but you could speak to him and understand why he was doing what he was doing. And then with Jimmy, he's just like, I, I suppose I'm just really lucky because those were two strikers who I used to watch as a kid and they were playing for the best teams. And I actually like really, really loved them as players. And then when I met them, someone like Jimmy, he's a really good guy as well. So to then be getting coached by someone who's been at the top level and is trying to, at the time, was trying to achieve. Um, a coaching status at the top level as well. It was, uh, it was, it was very good. Is there any sort of weird training methods that any of them had? Weird training methods. Um, with Jimmy, things tended to be quite long, and certain sessions, like it would be about the fitness, would be like a huge part of it. And initially, you thought oh, this is hard because he had a different um, structure. Because normally with players, you'd be off the day after a game. That's the case in England, but in other countries, it's not the case. So he would change the schedule so that we'd come in on the Sunday to do recovery work. But recovery work is harder than some people's training sessions on a Monday normally. So you had to kind of break that pattern. But then you got to a point where you you basically thrived in it and you were expecting it and you felt better from it. But it was, it was considered radical because it's it's against traditional coaching patterns in England. So what was your favourite game to play uh, while at QPR? Um... It wasn't necessarily my best game, but the fav- my favourite game, uh, interestingly, was the first season I went, was when City won the league for the first time. So here's my bigger picture moment. So the year before was when I was at Sunderland, and that's when United played Sunderland, and United thought they'd won the title at Sunderland, if you remember. Do you remember yes. that one? So, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that was my, so that was my old team. And now I was at the Etihad with my new team in QPR, playing against my other old team in Man City. And things pan out in a way whereby even though at QPR we lost, we stayed up on the last day. City won the league. City were the team I supported. And then United, the team who had been my nemesis for like 20 years, they were now being humiliated by my old set of supporters in Sunderland. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that day to me featured everything. And it was it was it was perfect. Yeah, that's that's without doubt one of the best days of my life. One of the best, one, well, not just my career, my my entire life. So yeah, that was a, that was a very special moment for me. You see one moment in that game after they've won the title. You see Jibril Cisse celebrating with Nasri, even though they're on yeah. the opposite teams. Yeah, exactly. It was, honestly, it was insane. So I've, I've seen in the past teams whereby both teams stay up on the same day because they're playing against each other and the crowd's like doing whatever. But I've never seen a team win a league and a team stay up in that same moment. So all the players on the field when the whistle was done were happy and everyone in the stadium was celebrating at the same time. Both sets of coaches were celebrating for different reasons at the same time as well. So it was just like, it was just a big party as opposed to an actual game of football, which is, yes. you know, those moments are very, very rare. Uh, you moved to uh, Real Salt Lake City in Utah. How different is playing in the MLS to the English leagues? Uh, it's completely different. It's completely different from... Um, for lots of different reasons, really. Not necessarily uh, 
just because, you know, the football is ultimately different, but just the way that it's run. So, for example, um, like, it's a central, the, the, the players aren't owned by the teams. They're owned by the league. And so, as a consequence, everyone has to do this. Everyone has to do that. There's no club that makes the decision about this is what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Because if you make that decision, everybody else has to do it as well. So it's okay. it's, it's very it's very different. And then uh, even with travel, there's no travel ten miles or whatever to get to Newcastle from Sunderland. You're flying to every destination that's away. And some of those flights range from maybe from where we are. You can be flying for an hour, or you could be flying for five. So it is. Uh, it's different and that you fly into different time zones as well. So yeah, it, it's different, but it's it's what I wanted in my career at that moment because it almost makes you have to relearn the game and relearn just what it's like to be a professional, especially because most of the players over here I, I've not watched before. So when you go out to a game, instead of playing against someone for the 10th time in the last like five years, now it's like, well, if you're playing someone for the first time and to be 30 plus doing that, it keeps you young. I can't imagine that there's many away fans again. <laughs> Zero. There are probably like four teams who have away fans travel. That's pretty much it. But the rest of it is just it's home. And it's, it's don't get me wrong, the the whole bouncing stadium and heckling and whatever and crazy atmospheres, I think that exists more in, in the UK and just around the world compared to here. But then here, where I'm at in uh, Utah, I can bring my kids to games and know that they're going to be all right. So that's also... You know, at the age that I'm at now, with the three kids, that's that's a big benefit for me. Yeah. Uh, last season, you did play against Latan Ibrahimovic. Oh yeah, yes I did. Yes I did. There's uh, something happened in that game. Um, <laughs> talk us through that. Um, so in the game itself, I was uh, we were just um, we were just playing. It's just a normal game. It was my second time playing against him in my career because I played against him in a preseason game one time, and there was nothing being said. There's no real communication. And then just out of the blue, he, uh, he just dragged me to the floor, like from around the neck. So I was on the floor and I was looking like, like what are you doing? Because the ref gave and booked it, uh, blown for the free kicks. I'm looking and saying, what are you doing? And then he started having a go at me, telling me to get up. So uh, the original me from playing in England, it's just, I'm not having it. So I, get, I got up and I started um, politely telling him where to go. Just ever so politely, you know, nothing too, nothing too vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> So I was, I, was get, I was telling him that, and then from there, it was it was, it was like so awkward for the rest of the game, just because he was always um, we we're all, like we we're ultimately playing against each other, and he's running his mouth, so I'm giving him some back and all this stuff. But then when we're marking when corners are coming, we're just standing next to each other, so it's a bit personal. But anyway, time passes in the game. He ended up scoring the winner, and then he celebrated in my face, but I didn't really notice it at the time on the field. Otherwise, I might have reacted differently. Okay. So then after the game, he uh, he came into our dressing room like five minutes after after we'd walked off the pitch but the way that that doesn't happen especially like if you, you do that in England someone's going to stop you at the door but because America's kind of built around its stars as opposed to its teams they kind of let people just move around as they please so he came in and he's, he's asking me oh, have you calmed down yet have you calmed down yet have a big smile on his face but like this was serious to me so again I politely told him um, to uh, to leave the, the, the dressing room if he would be so kind um, well yeah I was giving it that but yeah. ultimately it was uh it's just one of those things, like, I think one of the problems that I have with this league over here is that, as I say, because it's built so heavily around its stars, the, the league go over the top with it. And sometimes the players do as well, because he was the best player in the league last year, but it was made easier for him because people were almost scared to go up against him. But ultimately, if you don't go up against him, then he's going to just dominate. Whereas, say, back in, um, back in England and stuff like that, it's the same reason people love seeing the FA Cup in January because you can find some of these best teams with the best players go and play against people who, you know, might have regular jobs or 
you know, are playing three, four divisions lower, but they're going to go and make it as hard and as hostile as possible for the players who they know are better than them. So as a consequence, you know, you see real commitment and good games and that's why you see upsets. But over here, like, nah, stuff like that doesn't doesn't really happen, which is, uh, which I think, which I think is a bit of a shame, but it's, ultimately it's just, it's just how it is. So I was just reminding people that where I'm from, you know, nobody can come into your house and do whatever and then you just sit there and take it just because they're a big man that's not the way you work and that shouldn't be the way that you'd be working should be working going forward it must be quite warm during games you know like must, the temperature must be ridiculous sometimes <laughs> yeah so our league starts in in march and say last year for example there was in the same day where we, we played in houston and it was like 25 degrees and humid but then someone played in colorado and it was minus 12 that they were playing in. So um, there's, a, there's a bit of a spread, you could say. There's a bit of a spread. Um, and then come summertime, it gets to silly season. Like last place you want to be in the summer is going to, going to Dallas, going to Orlando, going to wherever, because the temperatures can really be from like, from, even from where we are in Utah, it gets to 35, 40 degrees. Mm. So it, it's, it's spicy. It's a good test. <laughs> if you could put together a five-a-side team of players that you've played with, uh, you can put yourself in the team or you don't have to. It's up to you. And a manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. What what type of side team you're going to go for? That I've played with anywhere. Yeah, just your whole career. Yeah, there would be bits of bias in there, just because these are my people. But I'd start yeah. with Joe Hartingall. Uh, okay. I still think he's like generational talent, even though people say he fell off and whatever. He's the last person I want to be taking a shot against. I'll be honest with you, the last keeper on this earth. Um, Centre back, I'd probably go with uh, Vincent Company, just because he's a proper. For as good as he was with the ball and all this stuff, he's a proper winner. Midfield, I'd go with. Um, you know, it's probably just going to be in the city team. This I can only apologise, but you, you see what I'm saying in a second. I'd probably go with Yaya Torre and oh, here's the problem. And David Silva. And up front, I'd have to go with Sergio Aguero. Okay, I can understand that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was looking, I was running by people in my mind, and there's been some really, really good players. But like, those some of those guys are icons, so I can't really, uh, can't really kick them out of the team. And manager-wise, who would you go for? Ooh, now there's the question. Uh, I would say, just for how I got along with him, I'd say Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'd go for. Because I really did get along with him. He's someone I still speak to now. Yeah, I know it's a surprise. I know it's a surprise because I've had lots of good managers. But ultimately, I think if he if would have had some of the like good teams and good club situations that others, I think he would have done well. But he just never never made it there. Well, I'll let you go, yeah. Adam. But uh, thank you for your time. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for the call. Did you manage to watch Sunderland till I die? Do you know what? As weird as this may be, two of, two of my clubs I've played for in Sunderland and Man City have both got documentaries out. And I can't watch them for some reason. It just feel it feels a bit weird. It feels a bit weird watching it. But I think people, a lot of people that I know, they enjoy um, they're enjoying the drama of the Sunderland one. But then also when I uh, when I was in the championship with QPR, I was playing against Sunderland. And I could feel the tension as well. So yeah, I'm I'm going to try and avoid it because my memory of being there is a great one. It's one of the most enjoyable years of my uh, of my career. So I'd like to just keep it that way in my mind for now. Yeah, I completely understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, it, I've heard it's a little bit different now. Little... 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.